Our second lesson today comes from the prophet Micah. I'm reading from chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before God with burnt offerings, with with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I don't, uh, I don't remember how many times Evelyn, my wife, told me, remember, you are going to preach in a Presbyterian church, and they are not expecting a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> and I will follow her, her advice. I want to say thank you for hosting me. Thank you for uh, all your support. And on behalf of everybody at Serepka, we want to say thank you for your partnership, for working with us in a the difficult context that we have in Guatemala, but uh, we have seen God every single day doing some amazing, amazing things in our country. And uh, some people always say that uh, Sedepka is doing such amazing work in Guatemala, but that is possible thanks to the support of people like you that pray for us, that, that support us, and that come to visit us in Guatemala. So thank you. Thank you for your support, and we want to invite you to come to Guatemala next year with uh, some other people from Second. Uh, many times as Christians, we wonder, what is God's will for my life? In Guatemala, there are many books that propose infallible recipes to know the will of God for us. There are also so many religious leaders that advertise on television, on radio, saying that they have the divine ability to tell people what the will of God is for their life. What does God expect of us? The passage in Micah suggests that God does not propose recipes or magic formulas, but has given us principles to guide us through the complex and diverse ways of life. The prophet speaks to the people using a legal language to present his message. God tells to the prophet, stand up, present your case before the mountains, and make the hills hear your voice. It is a trial, not in accord with uh, prosecuting and defense attorneys and judges dressing black, but it is a trial made before all the creation with a metaphorical judgment to see who is responsible for the fractured relationship with, between God and his people. In obedience, the prophet begins to present his case. Who are the judges in this trial? Well, the mountains, the hills, the valleys, the ones that have been there for centuries and centuries, that have seen that God has been faithful while the people continue failing into idolatry and justice and the exploitation of many by the hands of a few others. 
Micah tells nature, listen, you mountains and foundations of the earth, the Lord will begin a trial against his people. God will initiate a lawsuit against Israel. Once the jury has been selected, the prophet allows God to present the charges against the defendants. When God presents the accusations, he says, Answer me, O people, what I have done to you, in what I have disappointed you. God asks, What I have done to you that you are unfaithful? What I have done to you that you walk away from my side? The divine reproach becomes stronger when God begins to remember the acts of liberation. As God found the people slaves in Egypt and freed them, as God opened the sea for uh, them, as God walked with them through the desert, as God led them into the promised land, and even when they were about to enter, there were people like Balak that tried to destroy them. Yet, God continued taking care of his people. If I have looked over you, if I have set you free, what I have done to you that you walk away from my side, says the Lord. That complaint cannot be refuted. The people are clearly guilty of the accusation. So Israel cannot argue with God. The people didn't answer or attempt to explain why they have been unfaithful. Simply, the people respond asking for mercy and asking God what they should do to restore their covenant with him. The people ask God, Shall I come before you with calves a year old for a burnt offering? With what shall I come to worship the Lord? What's the question asked by the people? What I'm going to present before God to return to worship and to restore my relationship with him. The people began to answer that question for themselves. And they say, well, there are, are three, at least three alternatives. One is to stand before God with calves a year old and offer them in sacrifice. Take them to the altar, kill them, shedding their blood on the altar. Maybe that will restore the covenant and satisfy God who has been offended. Then the people say, no, no, no. It's not a question of calves a year old. How about if we offer thousands of rams and thousands of gallons of oil on the altar? That will satisfy God. That will restore our covenant with God. After such exaggeration, they passed to the unthinkable. The people began to think, well, maybe if I offer my oldest son as payment for my transgression and my sin, if I sacrifice my oldest son, then God will be pleased with me. These things seem crazy to us. None of us will bring a calf to sacrifice here at the altar. Neither shed the blood of thousands of animals, thinking that something like that would please God. We wouldn't offer a child's life in sacrifice ever. But in the ancient world, all these things were common. In the ancient world, people thought that if they sacrificed the blood of an animal, 
that would satisfy the wrath of the gods. Or if they brought in times of celebration hundreds and hundreds of animals, that would please their gods. Yes, there were those who believed that the sacrifice of a child was something that calmed the anger of their gods. The prophet hears the choices of people and he responds immediately. Micah tells the people that God does send one their sacrifices. Indeed, God does not need or rituals. God does not need or sacrifices or offerings to be God. God doesn't want to see ram's blood running, nor, God, nor does God care about thousands of gallons of oil on the altar. God doesn't need rituals or celebrations. What does God require of people? The answer is found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Note that these requirements have nothing to do with ritual. They have nothing to do with institutional religion. God cannot be bought with offerings. God cannot be bought with religious acts. God cannot be bought with sacrifices or constructions of beautiful temples. We cannot live a life of sin and sin or an offering on Sunday to calm God down. We cannot practice injustice and then come to church and perform a religious show and God will be happy and peaceful. We cannot live in evil and then come and give an offering to the church and with that we will obtain salvation. In Guatemala we have churches, mega churches, big churches, that offer us salvation on TV or radio. They offer us, offer us the forgiveness of our sins or the forgiveness of our sons or daughters' sins, the salvation of our parents, etc., etc. And for that to happen, we just need to pact with God and promise Him we will send a monthly donation as a sign of our commitment to those churches. Things do not work that way. God cannot be bought. What God wants is people living according to the divine values. That's the best offering we can give to God. The best offering we can give is our life and our actions. God wants you and me to develop an ethical and moral life, a life that reflects Christ in us. That's what God wants from us. God wants you and me to act with love and justice in all our relationships. Do justice. For Micah, justice is not an abstract concept. It is not a philosophical idea to discuss. Micah doesn't have a static concept of justice as often happens in our context. It is not only a question of being just, but doing justice. In the prophetic literature, justice is to act in defense of the weak and helpless. God wants his people to learn to do what is good, to help the abused, to treat orphans and widows with justice. In this sense, 
To do justice is to act in defense of the powerless. For Micah and for the prophets, the way people treat the poor and the weak was the basic criterion for measuring whether or not justice was done. Micah doesn't think about justice in a philosophical term. Rather, he guides us through the neighborhoods of our cities where the poorest people live and invites us to look into the eyes of the street children. He challenges us to deal with the loneliness of the widow and the lack of affection that the orphan and the stranger experience. The prophet invited us to remember those who are away in some other countries, those peasants who now are losing their land because the uh, powerful people are, are destroying them. God is a lover of justice. That is why he asks us for justice. The justice of God is what transforms situations of oppression and abuse in context of life, respect, and freedom. Love kindness. The Hebrew word chesed is one of those words that we can have we can translate or can have many meanings. In Spanish, different versions translate this word as mercy, great love, loyalty, goodness, among others. I think the concept of the Spanish word solidaridad, solidarity, is the best to describe the uh, idea of chesed that the, Micah, uh, the prophet Micah uses. To practice solidarity is becoming more difficult every day since we live as prisoners of distrust, fear, and suspicion. When we think of solidarity, usually we establish some limits similar to the ones of the lawyer that had a dialogue with Jesus and in the middle of the conversation asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus on that occasion didn't answer the question, but he tells a story. It is the story of the Samaritan who rescued uh, rescues and takes care of the man who was abandoned on the roadside. At the end of the story, Jesus asked the lawyer a question. Are you a neighbor? Are you a neighbor? We should ask ourselves the same question as we see so many people who have been abandoned by the roadside. Walk humbly with God. Once again, what God expects from every human being is to be active and not to assume a static posture. If one is going to walk in God's way, one must walk with the same humility that God has shown throughout the story, the history. When God walked with his people, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, God did it, did it paying attention to their needs. God hears the cry lament, and complaint of people. God feels the pain of people. The human being is called to walk in the same manner, attentive to the needs of his neighbor. The ultimate example of this is God incarnated in the person of Jesus. He walked the dusty roads of Israel among the people, and particularly among the most rejected, marginalized, and unprivileged people. Jesus walked, ate, drank, cried, and gave his life for others. What does God expect from us? The text in Micah is clear. Do justice, love kindness, 
and walk humbly with God. God is a God who loves justice and solidarity. Living God's solidarity is to provide hope to a world that experiences deadly despair. It is not about religion. It is not about pretentious sacrifices or elaborated celebration. God has spoken loud and clear. What God expects of us is justice and love. Justice and love practice every day in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our countries. That is the will of God for every of us. Amen.